like I Hold your head up high Till you find the bluebird of happiness You will find greater peace of mind Knowing there's a bluebird of happiness And when he sings to you And we're back with the Philip K. Dick Book Club. As always, in each episode of this podcast, I look at one of the works of Philip K. Dick. And in this episode, I will be taking a look at Dick's 1966 short story, We Can Remember It For You Wholesale. This is actually one of Dick's more famous stories. It's been adapted into the movie Total Recall, which is is quite good. And I haven't seen the, the remake of it, but I have seen the original, although it's a fairly loose adaptation in terms of plot. The story is much more, uh, much smaller than, than the movie, of course. But uh, the movie, I think, stands up fairly well. But I'm not going to talk too much about, about the movie. I'm going to stick here with the story. Uh, in in a lot of ways, it's a it's a typical Philip K. Dick story in that we have a kind of oppressed middle management type of, of worker who's very dissatisfied with his life, and then some amazing dramatic transformation happens to him. Um, in this case, it, it happens through a, a sort of vacation uh, he's taking. Uh, this is this is a theme that gets played with a little bit in the the episode of. Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams, the one called Real Life, which is actually based on a story I already looked at, written way back in the 50s, called called um, exhibit, exhibit Piece, but it has this idea of, of kind of dreaming vacations or experiencing vacations in some kind of dream state, and then using that as kind of a therapeutic um, experience. That is, is certainly a theme in the story, but I, but I think it's actually a very rich story, and it's, it's, it's thematically rich in the way that a lot of Dick's 1960s works are now this is the well th- this was published in fantasy and science fiction in april of 1966 it was written sometime in 1965 interestingly it's found most commonly in the second volume of the collected stories of philip k dick which actually has as a title we can remember it for you wholesale and then there's actually a subtitle of that called the story that inspired the hit motion picture total recall now, occasionally, I, I talk about the order that these stories appear in the collected stories. The collected stories are five volumes, of course, and they're basically arranged in order of when these article, these essays, or sorry, not these essays, these stories were submitted to Dick's agent. Um, although sometimes things are moved around a little bit, I, it seems to me that the main reason stories were moved around was for for, for title pieces, right? because they wanted all volumes to have a notable work as as the title piece. So, for instance, the first volume was originally... It was originally Beyond Lines the Wub, and then later on it became uh, The Short Happy Life of the Brown Oxford, and now it's published as, as Paycheck, right? Volume 2 was originally published as Second Variety, and then they switched it to, as we can remember, to Wholesale. Volume 3 originally was called the father thing and now it's second variety so they moved that around volume four originally was the days of perky pat and now it's the minority report um, so why do they do this well they do this i think to attach titles to 
famous works, works that were popular often because of movies um, or for maybe for other reasons. I think this has all been streamlined in, in the new version published by Subterranean Press, um, where it's it's a little bit more disciplined in, in how these these works are arranged. And it's actually included some stories that weren't in the original collected stories. I don't think I'll be looking at those because those stories really are first drafts of, of novels in most cases. Although I think there are a few minor stories which I've never read, which are in the Subterranean Press uh, edition. Someday I'll, I'll get those, I'm sure. Um, but anyways, that's just a little bit about the history of it. I, I, I don't know why it's included. This properly should be in Volume 5, if, you, if you're reading these chronologically. Um, you'd, you'd read it within with the stories in volume, well, volume 5. And I think it's important to read it somewhat chronologically, either by publication or by the order they were written, just to get a sense of what Dick was thinking about at various times in his, in his career. But anyways, let's, let's not worry too much about the order of things and the order that they've been published. Um, let's just jump into the plot of this, 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 this nice little story. Um, so our main character is Douglas Quayle. He wakes up and he, he's planning to visit Mars. But unfortunately, his work doesn't allow him to take the expensive trip. He doesn't really have the, the cash to afford the very, very expensive trip to, to Mars. His wife thinks he wasn't dreaming about Mars, but thinking he was dreaming about a girl. And he corrects her, telling her that he was dreaming of the god of war, of course, the god of war being Mars. And she recommends that he takes a trip to see the bottom of the oceans instead of Mars, this trip being much more affordable than, than a trip to Mars, the one he really wants to take. I guess that would be then the, the, the god of the sea, right, to see Neptune. <laughs> Um, but anyways, Douglas Quayle then goes off to try to find, to, to pursue an alternative to actually paying for this trip. And that's what brings him to his meeting at Recall, R-E-K-A-L. This is the, the corporation that gives this service of basically implanting memories into people's heads in order to allow them to experience vacations that they can't normally afford to go on. Now, this is actually a very interesting idea. You know, I've so I've always wondered why so many people, when they're on vacations, they, they take these photos. Uh, they take a lot of photos. And I understand taking a few, but some people are really obsessive and they take photos of everything. And if you ever had this experience where you're like looking through your photos of a trip or a, um, a experience you've been on, and you flip through them, and you're always smiling, right? So you think, oh, I had such a good time there, right? You're remembering the event through your memory that's been implanted on the on the paint on the photo now if you've ever taken a photo you may be miserable but you smile because you're in a picture but if you look back on it you're not remembering what really happened to you at that time you're remembering what's displayed on the photo so it's a false memory uh, photos often have this feeling to me of being a false memory and you know we take so many photos at trips I, I wonder how often we actually do recall what happens on trips I, I'm not the kind of guy who does a lot of these tours I've, I've traveled around the world a lot but that's mostly because that's where life has taken me I'm not the kind of tourist type my, my sister is and she always has a lot of photos of things and I should I should talk to her about this this idea but anyways this idea of implanting memories of a, of a trip I, I think it's not that far-fetched it's just most of us both go on trips and implant memories but we do it through through photography he actually says though the the guy the, the guy named McLean, he's the boss here and he or the salesperson and he says it's actually better than going there all right because they can they can also provide tangible evidence confirming that the trip took place you know like the the things you bring back with you on the trip souvenirs or whatever and the implanted memory is, is actually stronger and more powerful than the, the than a real memory 
So he says, in every meaningful way, you will have been on Mars. And Quayle then decides to go ahead with the implanted memory service. So meanwhile, McLean is working on preparations for, you know, preparing with the technicians for the job. They're preparing the material objects that will provide the authentication of the memories. All of this is very standard, and it's a very standard and easy case. There's nothing really special about it. But the technicians report a problem. And apparently, the recall process has undermined Quayle's cover. He was an interplan agent who has worked on Mars before. These memories were suppressed. And this is actually why psychologically he so desperately wanted to go to and visit Mars. They don't know what will happen if they try to plant a false memory of Mars over a suppressed real memory of Mars. McLean then decides to return half of the fee to Quail and just basically say, you know, there, you know, there's been a bit of a problem here, but but see how it goes. See what happens with uh, with these with this procedure. You know, because the the memory's been implanted, but there's there's been this problem of the of the real memories underneath it. So, anyways, Quail, from his perspective, he returns to Earth after one month on Mars. He talks to his wife. Uh, he thinks it's been a simulated trip because, um, you know, basically confirming with his wife the timeline and everything. It's it's pretty clear that this must have been a simulated trip. So he returns to Recall Incorporated, and he asks for a return fee because you know the. It wasn't convincing. It, he's found out very quickly that this was a false memory. The receptionist admits that he was there asking about taking a simulated trip to Mars, but um, but he remembers it all. And he gets past the receptionist and finally is able to talk to McLean directly, and he gets his meeting, and he's going to demand his money back for this with this wasted money. And he makes a formal complaint. McLean agrees to return the rest of his fee, all of it, not just half. He warns Quayle not to talk to anyone about the trip, though. Uh, he does, though, talk to his wife, and he realizes that there are two competing memories in his mind about Mars. He doesn't know how to differentiate the real one, which is not really clear to him from the implanted one, the one he experienced you know, through his quote-unquote trip at, at recall. He doesn't really have the capacity to differentiate between these competing memories. Um... He demands, now this is very hard for me to experience or think about or, or try to reflect on. It's something Stephen King tries to do in The Dark Tower. I think it's volume three of The Dark Tower where the main character Roland has memories in which this boy, he's, you know, he's, he had this adventure with, had lived um, and then didn't never came to his world and never experienced time with him. And then there's another memory in which the boy dies and therefore came to Roland's world and had an adventure with them. So these two competing memories slowly drive him insane. Um, it's, it's hard to try to imagine what this would be like, um, but maybe people with mental illnesses have experienced something sort of like this. Um, maybe Dick feels he has experienced something like this. I mean, there are characters in Dick's novels and other contexts who have these sort of experiences you know like you have a bit of this in time of joint and in other stories where there's kind of competing realities at work he demands though he quail really wants to know if he's been if he's ever really been to mars and and eventually though because he's been kind of pushing this this concern the the interplanetary police eventually come to arrest quail these are like the the secret police of the government they explain their dilemma to him, though. They're, they're kind of honest with him. And that is, if they erase his memory of Mars, he'll simply be overcome again with a desire to go to Mars. And this will lead to another visit to recall, and the problem will just be circular. 
They inform him that therefore he must be killed. But Quail managed to escape, making use of his forgotten abilities as whatever kind of secret agent he was. He's able to escape and get away from these, these police agents. Later on in, his, in the park, Quail is contacted through a device in his head. They are his interplan, what's the government again, that in, on the world, they're his superiors. They manage to convince them that they'll let him live if they can successfully implant memories that will fulfill his most expansive daydream. And this would be so expansive, this daydream would be so expansive, and but it would be planted in, and seem real that it could suppress his authentic memories of Mars and therefore it could keep his cover and maybe they could get out of this, this dilemma of, of you know, the subconscious desire for him to visit Mars becoming so powerful it's actually undermining his secret agent cover. He meets with the psychiatrist. Interplan decides that the memory they need to implant into Quill's mind involves him saving Earth from an alien invasion through... Uh, an expression of mercy. As long as Quail's uh, alive, the idea is, the aliens won't invade Earth. This will make him the most important person on Earth, which will fulfill his ultimate and deepest wishes. While this is an arrogant child's fantasy, it does work, and it will work, according to the psychiatrists. Quail eventually returns to McLean and recall, and then they prepare to have this new memory implanted into him. And then once again, uh, while this memory is being implanted, it is we are, we are told um, that this is really what happened to Quail and that it is in fact true that his mere existence really is stopping an alien invasion. Of course, we're, we're meant at the end of the story to be totally confused about what is real and, and what's the real memory and what's what's not. It's, it's just overlapping different experiences and, and memories and the reality of the world, whether there really is an alien invasion, whether really he is a secret agent, whether he went to Mars, all these things are just overlapping and confused. And it, it's all put together quite brilliantly and in a, in a fun way. It's not even an either or. There's there's so many possible ways of reading the story that there's so much left to interpretation. Um, so that, that makes it a little bit difficult to try to to analyze in a straightforward way. But um, anyways, it's it's really a lot of fun i mean the there's so many different ways to think about this story and this the novel the or the movie i mean the movie does a pretty good job i think the first one the arnold schwarzenegger one of of playing with this different ambiguities about quails real passes secret agent and the way he experiences it and, and comes to realize the you know these different layers of, of meaning and then the question of whether these are just the implanted memories or not now Nothing about how his childhood act of empathy has led to some aliens believing that humanity has a reason for existing, which is the story we're given at the end and, and the justification for keeping Quail alive and the memory he's given, the experience he's given at the end of aliens have arrived. And then somehow this experience with Quail as a young child led the aliens to think humanity should be saved. You know, this is not in the movie. It's actually the moral heart of the story. And I, I think it's it's a I don't know how you would have added it to the movie the way it was constructed, but I, I think it really worked well in the story. His career as an interplan agent engaging in assassinations is pretty meaningless compared to this one act of kindness, which convinced the aliens that humanity has a, a right to exist. Um, now, you almost have here, maybe, especially in the age of the Vietnam War, this was written in 1965, you know, maybe Dick is actually making a case for a more moral foreign policy, that we shouldn't engage in more foreign policy about assassinations and violence and overthrowing various regimes. Instead, we need one based on empathy and, and, and morality. 
It certainly was written in the at the time when the United States was in the depths of the Vietnam War. Some benevolence goes a long way. It goes a lot farther than literally all the forgettable violence that Quayle's engaged in. And the violence that Quayle's engaged in is literally forgettable. It's it's not remembered. It's not remembered by him. Those memories are suppressed. And even to the degree they are kind of popping up into his form, form of memory, they're things that are unclear and they're only brought forth um, with, you know, through the, this recall process. And of course, those are suggested to be also just fake memories. So all the real violent, the action stuff is totally suppressed. And in a movie, of course, you bring that action to the forefront because that's um, that's what's going to bring put butts in the seats as far as the movie goes. But in the story, it's actually this act of benevolence, this act of 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 one act of mercy that that saves the world. Here, I'll just read you what the the actual memory is. Okay, this is the psychiatrist talking to him when they're trying to figure out, you know, how to to resolve these overlapping memories in a satisfactory way. And he tells about this memory or this fantasy he has of, of, a, of a young child saving, saving the world. Quote, unlike the fantasy of wanting to be an interplanned undercover agent, which, being relatively speaking a product of maturity, has a certain plausibility to it, this production in a grotesque dream of your childhood, it is no wonder you fail to recall it. Your fantasy is this. You are nine years old, walking along a rustic lane, and an unfamiliar variety of space vessels from another star system lands directly in front of you. No one on earth but you, Mr. Quayle, sees it. The creatures within are small and helpless, somewhat on the order of field mice, although they are attempting to invade Earth. Tens of thousands of other ships will soon be on their way when this advance party gives the go-ahead signal. I suppose I stopped them, Quayle said, experiencing a mixture of amusement and disgust. Single-handedly, I wiped them out, probably stepping on them with my foot. No, the psychiatrist says patiently. You halt the invasion, but not by destroying them. Instead, you show them kindness and mercy, even though... Even though by telepathy, their mode of communication, you have, you know why they have come. You have never seen such a humane trait. They have never seen such a humane trait exhibited by any sentient organism. And to show their appreciation, they make a covenant with you. They won't invade Earth as long as I'm alive, Quill said. And that that's the dream. And it, it, it's presented that maybe this really just is a childhood fantasy. But the, the twist at the end suggests that maybe this is the real situation and Earth's been protecting quail for so long and and messing with his memories in order to keep him alive and to and forestall this invasion because as soon as he dies then there's nothing really stopping the, the this these aliens and their tens of thousands of ships from riding into earth that's the real threat another great thing to say about this story it seems to me is the this tension between kind of our world and the world the world we live in and the world we dream to live in and i, I think that's more the if this empathy issue is like the thematic core of the story and the moral center of the story, the emotional core of the story is this tension between the worlds we live in, the worlds we inhabit, uh, whatever they are, and the world we we would like to live in, and the unachievability of the world we would like to live in. The, when we meet Quail, he's a, quote, miserable little salaried employee. His life has no meaning. All he can do is dream of a voyage, a trip that he can't afford, right? He's not even happy, very happy in his marriage. There's really nothing worth living in this world. And his wife tries to convince him, why don't you take a trip to like the ocean, you know, just get away for a while. But that's not going to satisfy him. He has these bigger dreams, but they're completely unrealizable in his in his world. And I think there's a lot of people in this circumstance, right? They Even, if, even if they have small dreams, those dreams may be far away, like owning a home, a lot of millennials 
you know, even the dream of owning a home or paying off their college loans or things. These are things that are almost beyond up beyond their their grasp. Quail himself is hostile or indifferent to work. What he really does doesn't matter. I don't think we really can get a description of what his job is. There's a good reason to believe it's probably a bullshit job. David Graeber's book about bullshit jobs has just been released and he's been doing his, you know, he's been on YouTube and Twitter promoting that book in, you know, at the time of recording this, you know, and I have to read the whole book. I've read the original essay and it's been very influential to me and how I've think, been thinking about late capitalism in, in recent years. Certainly quail, whatever his job is, is a bullshit job. Um, what matters is really his dream or his dream of something different. In his deepest fantasy, he is he is someone who matters. That That's it. That's what it comes down to. His job doesn't matter. In his dream, he matters. Whether it's as a secret agent or as a, a child who saved the world. And, you know, I, I love that Dick added this because that's kind of a dream a lot of us have. This dream of, of significance as child. We, we, we inflate our, our own importance. But that's just our daydreaming, our, 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 our kind of youthful fant- fantasizing. The fact that he really does matter, whether that's real or not, is less significant than the fact that he wants to be conscious of his significance. He wants to be aware. He wants to walk through his life feeling important. And that's what satisfies him at the end of the story. We create many myths that we're important, maybe, or that our jobs matter or that the world needs us. But really, our jobs are often bullshit jobs. I I know there are people with significant um, jobs, but, you know, many of us on some level feel what we do is not that important. Uh, and that is what bothers us. The world does not really need us. You know, and even in an industrial sense, the world doesn't need that many people to pull switches in factories anymore. The, the world doesn't need that many people to, to run shops, right? Computers can do a lot of these things. Automation is going to make more and more of our lives less relevant from an economic sense. And then how do we give our lives meaning, right? Is, is I think, going to be one of our big challenges of the next, of the next century. Quail wants to have a life of significance. The solution to this dilemma is, I think, not to try to become the most important person on the earth or dream of being a secret agent or even taking a trip somewhere just to to kind of jolt our life out of its mundane um, facts. The solution is really to create an economy and society where people's talents and contributions are valued, whatever they are, right? And where people aren't shoved into bullshit jobs um, because that's the the only ones available. So anyways, that that's my thoughts on We Can Remember For You Wholesale. I guess I don't say too much about it, but um, that is. It, it's actually a very complex story. It can be read various ways, but I think at its thematic core, it's about this tension between this the world we live in, however horrible it is, and our dreams and our fantasies of, of living somewhere better. And then alongside that, this this the need for morality to be maybe at the heart of our foreign policies. I think that's a really nice addition that that one act of mercy perhaps can can save millions of lives. Um, so that's it. That's that's we can remember for you wholesale 19 one of three stories I believe Dick published in in 1966. Um, yeah. So um, I'll be back next time with a few more stories published in 1966. Holy quarrel and your appointment will be yesterday. Um, but until then, um, uh, leave your comments below or, or send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com and I'll be sure to get back to you. Uh, thanks for supporting this podcast and I'll, I'll see you next time with another story.
Contentment forever If you 